Hello and welcome back to the Church of Jesus Christ study session with Come Follow Me. I'm your host Matthew Roberts and this is Season 2, Episode 303 of this Daily Study Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us as we continue our study of the Come Follow Me materials for this week in October the 26th to November the 1st, covering Mormon 1-6, to O Wood That I Could Persuade All to Repent. Uh, and today we're covering the section which is mainly covered in Mormon Chapter 2, verses 10-15, to Godly Sorrow Leads to True and Lasting Change. So at the beginning of Mormon chapter two, we are given a bit of context. Mormon has just been put in charge of the Nephites' armies, despite being in his 16th year. He says, and it came to pass in that same year, there began to be a war again between the Nephites and the Lamanites. And notwithstanding I being young, was large in stature. Therefore, the people of Nephi appointed me that I should be their leader or the leader of their armies. So Mormon points towards his physical prowess as to the reason why the people put, picked him out as their leader. But having looked at his character in Mormon chapter 1, it's no surprise really that he was picked out out of the group of Nephites to be the leader when you consider the other attributes he had as well. Um, Joseph Fielding McConkie and Robert L. Millett said this, quote, Mormon, like his ancestor Nephi, was a large man physically and also was of a spiritual stature that was unique and impressive, especially for a teenager. Perhaps Mormon, like King Saul, was immediately looked to as a leader because of his impressive physical prowess. Undoubtedly, the other characteristics of spirituality and maturity, when coupled with his size, increased his stature among his peers. It could also be that he was a priesthood leader at a young age, and as a result, people turned to him for leadership in both temporal and spiritual matters. It appears that Mormon was appointed to lead the Nephite armies into battle against the Lamanites, not so much because of his physical stature, but more likely because he was indeed a remarkable leader in many aspects of his life. We are left only to surmise all the reasons why Mormon was thrust into weighty responsibilities while so young. Close quote. He would have stood out. As we know, he was quick to observe. He was a sober individual, which we, t- we spoke again was not being necessarily serious and not drunk, but it was to be not influenced by other things and being having a focus. And so Mormon obviously had these very positive leader-like qualities, and that's why he was picked out as the leader of the Nephite armies at such a young age. So we move forward, and I'm not going to really talk much about verses 2 to 9, because really it just, again, <coughs> outlines war and battles and things like that. But basically what we need to understand from this is that the Lamanites were causing a lot of damage to the Nephites. The Nephites were also causing a lot of damage to the Lamanites. It was a very destructive and very uh, bloody warfare. And in verse 10, we start to see a change happening in the Nephites, what we think is the start of some change. In verses 10 to 11, it says, And it came to pass that the Nephites began to repent of their iniquity, and began to cry, even as had been prophesied by Samuel the prophet. For behold, no man could keep that which was his own. For the thieves and the robbers and the murderers and the magic art and the witchcraft was in the land. Thus there began to be a mourning and a lamentation in all the land because of these things, and more especially among the people of Nephi. So right here, we start to see what we think is going to be the the continuation of this pride cycle. We saw the pride cycle so prevalently in in the books of Helaman and also in 3rd Nephi at the start of it. We saw that increased wickedness would lead to destruction and desolation and and sorrow. And then this destruction would cause the people to um, 
recognize the error of their ways and to make changes and to repent. And then this repentance would lead to greater spirituality and then which ultimately led to greater peace and prosperity. Of course, the prosperity would increase so much that they would start to become prideful. And once again, they would start to forget the Lord their God and start to um, lose his protection and promises and blessings and start to again receive destruction and, and, and disappointment. So for Mormon, this is a wonderful moment. And you can actually see in verse 12 how he hopes that this is actually it. This is the moment, the, the, the turning point in their pride cycle, that he will have been well versed in these in the scriptures when this happened and know that this repentance, as it, as it seemed to be, would bring them back to God. In verse 12, it says, And it came to pass that when I, Mormon, saw their lamentation and their mourning and their sorrow before the Lord, my heart did begin to rejoice within me, knowing the mercies and the long suffering of the Lord. Therefore, supposing that he would be merciful unto them, that they would again become a righteous people. You can just imagine this, the, the joy that um, this Mormon had because he's grown up in a very wicked world. And so the fact that this could be it, this could be the moment that his, his people start to turn again to their God and become a righteous people would have been a wonderful blessing and joy to him. Um, but as we know, um, this did not happen. In verse 13, it says, But behold, this my joy was vain, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance because of the goodness of God, but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned, because the Lord would not always suffer them to take to take happiness in sin. Um, this is really the, the, the big difference. This is the, the cause of the destruction of the Nephites. It's not that when they were sorrowing and they had, you know, afflictions and destructions and they started to have sorrow, that they looked back to their God to help change them so that those sorrowings could be taken away. But instead, they were sorrowing. They were upset because they couldn't be wicked and yet still receive true happiness. And they chose to continue to be wicked. And that that really is, that is such a heartbreaking uh, moment, I imagine, uh, for, for Mormon. Um, it wasn't godly sorrow, it was worldly sorrow. And um, Brent L. Top said this about godly sorrow, quote, Godly sorrow, the broken heart and contrite spirit, is much more than remorse or regrets after having sinned. Mormon observed anguish in his own people and described it as the sorrowing of the damned. It is a sorrow. It was a sorrow born of sins and circumstances, but which did not produce faith unto repentance. Many may be remorseful for past actions and regret the consequences that have befallen them, but do nothing to change, to come unto Christ and partake of his mercy and to comply with the requirements of the gospel. Um, a broken heart and a contrite spirit is an attitude that always leads to commitment and to change. Close quote. For me, I suppose the big difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, well, yes, there's two big differences, is that godly sorrow urges us to turn back to Christ, you know, to receive his forgiveness, whereas worldly sorrow seeks to look inside ourselves and try and sort things out ourselves and, and that kind of thing. Uh, but then also the change element is important as well, that these people didn't desire to change. They didn't want to change what they were doing, even though it was causing these outcomes. They were angry. They were upset that they were not allowed to do these things and still receive the peace and happiness that came from God. Um, whereas godly sorrow urges us to change so that we can be more connected with God and as a result receive those promised blessings and that peace and comfort from the Holy Ghost. 
Um, and I think that that's those are really the, the key differences. Um, someone also, I remember um, listening to another podcast and someone also described it as shame and guilt. And I'd, I'm not sure I completely agree that shame is the same as worldly sorrow like these Nephites had because they, because shame and guilt, basically, the, the difference between shame and guilt, we, we want to feel guilt. Guilt is the thing that helps us to understand that the things that we have done are wrong and we need to change them. Whereas world, whereas shame is the viewpoint that we are wrong, we are bad, and uh, nothing can change us. Um, and I think that's different because I don't know if these Nephites felt shame um, when they were feeling that worldly sorrow. They just felt that, you know, they saw that the choices they were making and they frankly didn't want to change. They liked those choices they were making. So I think shame and guilt, the shame and guilt um, kind of parad- well, not paradox, but the shame and guilt um decision is is a different thing um but godly sorrow is obviously what we should be seeking for that is the thing that we want in our hearts to be able to change us to um to do what we need to to repent and so that we can become close to our savior and his atonement uh, once again um and as you look uh, in verses 14 and 15 of mormon chapter 2 we see that what they didn't do and they did not come unto jesus with broken hearts and contrite spirits but they did curse god and wish to die Nevertheless, they would struggle with the sword for their lives. And it came to pass that my sorrow did return unto me again, and I saw that the day of grace was passed with them, both temporally and spiritually. For I saw thousands of them hewn down in open rebellion against their God, and heaped up as dung upon the face of the land. Um, obviously, you know, very um, soul-crushing verses there. But this is why we have this Book of Mormon. It is there to teach us lessons. It is there to show us what things we can do well to receive great peace and joy, as we saw in the beginning of 4th Nephi, Nephi. But we also have examples of things that we shouldn't do, things to avoid. Let us all seek to make real change in our lives as we uh, seek to have godly sorrow. Of course, we refer to these things when we make big mistakes. But of course, they, they we need to be feeling that godly sorrow to some little degree each day as we repent daily. We've been invited by our prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, to repent daily. And in order to do this, we need to feel some elements of godly sorrow. And so whatever it is, whatever, perhaps we're working on a Christ-like attribute. Perhaps we uh, have not been making any big mistakes, but we just want to become close to our saviour. But we recognise there's things in our lives that we need to change, which we all have. Um, Let's invite that godly sorrow into our hearts as we pray and seek to change. Thank you very much for listening today as we continue uh, with this study. Please do join the Facebook group, Church of Jesus Christ Study Session with Come Follow Me. Um, There's lots of discussions on there. We post a lot of things and it'd be great to hear some more individuals' thoughts on what they've been studying, whether it relates to this Come Follow Me study or not. And you can email ldsstudysession at gmail.com if you'd like to join in a future podcast episode as well. Thank you for your time and until we meet again.